Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome to the Short Code Podcast. I'm your host, Kaname Kone. With me today, we have the loyal and whimsical Nicole Keating. Hi, everyone. Say hello to the vibrant Yasmin Rose. Hello, everybody. The phenomenal Christine Pham. Hi. Stand at attention for the god himself, Gerberto Ursona Leone. Hey, friends. And please look, but don't touch the, the regal, <laughs> hot Martin Rosenfeld. Thank you. Hey, everybody. <laughs> If these names sound familiar, it's because this is a follow-up show to the podcast that aired on July 6th. And you know what? What? It's what? good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> so, in lieu of a more profound discussion, I thought we might start this podcast with a game that's near and dear to my heart called Party Corks. Each of you will grab a piece of paper. On that paper will be a description of a persona of which you will assume. Nicole here will be our charming bachelorette and you, the hopeful suitors, whenever you're ready. Okay, let's get this party started. Martin, take it away. I'm kind of confused by mine. Okay. So, Martin, if we were to go on a first date, where would we go? Um, uh, we would, uh, we would, uh, totally, uh, go to wherever we want. We'll go, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go hiking. We'll go, we'll go on a, on a boat together. Hmm. Could you possibly be nervous? Is that your? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> hmm. okay I'm gonna move on. Christine, where would we go on our first date? Oh uh, well, um, safety and security are of the utmost importance. So we will be going. <laughs> <laughs> to a museum. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay, I like that. I like that. Okay, Yasmin, where are we going? Um, we are going to go wherever you don't want to go, and but wherever we don't want to go, I want to drink your blood. <laughs> hmm. So, are you a vampire? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope I saved the best for last. Um, I'm the best. I went first. Just saying. <laughs> We would go outside and we would have a picnic um, under the huh. full moon. And please don't bring any silver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Are you a werewolf? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, I'm doing pretty well at this. Oh, these guys. Okay, Martin. So, what do you look for in a potential partner? What I look for is is somebody who will just follow and do what I say and not question it. Uh, I uh, I like things to be planned out and I like things to be straightforward and and oh, I'm so itchy and and I also like I like a structured relationship. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Christine, same question. Well, I also like a very structured relationship. Um, I take everything very seriously, so I would like... Um... Holy cow, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a follow-up question for you. Where would you take me on your dream honeymoon? On a dream honeymoon, we would be going to a vault 
because that is the only place I could think of that is ult- like has the ultimate security. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> you possibly be someone who worries a lot. I take everything very seriously. Um, again, safety and security are of utmost importance. Mm-hmm. Are you a TSA agent? No, very close. Mm, an FBI agent? No. Okay, I'm going back to my <laughs> <laughs> Um. So I guess I'll ask you, where would you take me on our honeymoon? As long as everything is planned out. Okay, so I think at 8 o'clock in the morning, I would probably take you to the beach. And then exactly at 8.30, we'd probably get on a boat. And then we should be done around 9.10, 9.15. <laughs> and after 9.10, 9.15, we could go scuba diving. And then we'll spend... Mm, maybe three hours and three minutes doing that and then after those after that the three minutes are important trust me uh after that uh we could we could do whatever you want for the rest of the day so you're someone who likes to stick to schedules and you're itchy (laughs) yeah that's pretty close yeah did I get it? Did I win? Um, just about type A personality with poison ivy. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll ask you one more follow-up question. What's your family like? I don't have any family. My only family would be you. That was a hard left. <laughs> okay, Christine, you want to tell us what it was? It was a former presidential bodyguard. Uh, that was a little tough. That was a fair one. That's perfectly fair. Okay. So, so Nicole, uh, what is your role in uh, SHPEP? That's the Summer Health Professions Education Program. Sure. So I'm at the Administrative Services Coordinator for SHPEP, which means I basically am in charge of all the logistics. I help when we have guest speakers, make sure they're set up. Um, I also play a role with the students acting as a liaison. So anytime they voice concerns to me, um, I kind of direct them to our um, directors of the program. And I'm just kind of, it's an all-encompassing role. So, what's What's your favorite part of the job so far? I definitely have to say my favorite part of the job is being able to meet all these great students. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, It's been really cool watching their transitions throughout the program. So we just finished week five while we're about to. And the first day they moved in, everyone looked a little nervous. And I can tell they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. But now in week five, everyone is pretty much one big family. And it's been a great transition to watch. So uh, back to you guys. Uh, how are you guys feeling? This is the fifth week. We're almost done. I'm feeling pretty good and sad. I mean, good because I feel like I'm going to be going away with a lot of great information that I didn't know going into the program, but sad because I've formed a lot of relationships with people that I'm going to have to say goodbye to because I'll be leaving the best campus in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want to echo that. Yeah, I feel I feel good because like, I have this like fire ignited in me again to go Mm -hmm. back to school and really tackle like this pre-med thing. And I I know more of what I'm getting into now. And that's all because of this program. This program has honestly been amazing, life-changing almost for me. Uh, But I'm also really sad because I made so many good friends. And I mean, I'm not too far from this campus. (laughs) um, And uh, but I, I 
I'm sad that like because this there's so many people from all over. They're all going to be going back to their respective campuses across the United States, and that's it's a sad thought. Yeah, I feel like this program has done so much more for me than I've ever imagined. There's been so much more um, like personal development, and I will be going away with so much more friends and information that I never thought I would have with like also a new sense of confidence that I am in the right place and I am doing the what I want um but also this is also really sad <laughs> because uh, especially I live so far away from everyone and I probably won't be able to meet with all these people in the same room again so no yeah I also have a bittersweet feeling like I'm gonna miss everyone so much but I am living with like a new like um, system of like mentors and people I can reach out to and I'm only three hours away so people are already making plans to like get together next <laughs> spring break or whatever it is. Come but down yeah. for a football game. <laughs> yeah something like that and yeah I'm going back to my school like Martin said with more confidence and I'm gonna tackle OCHEM in the fall so. <laughs> okay so I think we're gonna give you guys a chance to kind of show off what you've been learning so oh. Oh. <laughs> you know we've been learning a lot about healthcare disparities in our interprofessional collaboration group so in prep for this podcast um, we had you read some articles and Taname is gonna kind of tell you more about what we're gonna do now. Yeah so um, <clears throat> in the fall of 2010 in the wake of a devastating earthquake Haiti was struck with a subsequent cholera outbreak. Epidemiologists believe that the outbreak originated in Nepal and was brought to Haiti by UN Nepalese peacekeepers. Cholera still plagues Haiti to this day and is responsible for at least 10,000 deaths and many more falling sick. What are your thoughts about this situation? I think that it was uh, completely irresponsible for the UN to not go through the proper like screening and sanitation uh procedures uh, because if you're going into another country you obviously don't want to bring any sort of diseases or sicknesses with you and people should have been screened before they entered the country for things like cholera or other contagious sicknesses I agree with that, but even more so, I think it goes based off like principle to where we would not have people coming to meet the president of our country or just basic civilians in large populations with a disease like this. And I think it's a lack of care slash importance that they see of the people in Haiti to where not only did they infect thousands of people, people thousands of people are already dying from this or, or have already died. And it's the fact that they are now denying it at first that they were responsible for the large amount of deaths happening but if this were to happen in the united states like this wouldn't have happened it's because they see the people of haiti as less than them and they know know that they'll have a harder time fighting for themselves and i think that they're taking advantage of like their economical system and healthcare system that they have out there especially if you look at the situation you have to remember that cholera didn't wasn't a big problem in haiti before this uh, outbreak happened. So with that in mind, the people in Haiti, they have no immunity towards cholera. And so um, like the spread of cholera was so rapid and um, kind of uh, like advanced that the UN really should have done more to remedy the situation. They didn't do enough and it was very, I think it was really irresponsible of them. No, yeah, just going off of Martin's thought, I thought like um, the peacekeepers or whoever has had to go through like the screening process, they were like lacking in training. And since they were like posted in Nepal before, um, and that's like a persistent problem, like cholera there, they should have been more cautious when going to Haiti. I mean, I, it's one thing to 
it's one thing to not what you know what you're doing and make a mistake but to deny also that you did it and refuse to take mm-hmm. any responsibility for it and make take any steps towards like solving the problem that's that's a completely different issue mm-hmm. to me that just that screams of like just childish behavior of like oh no it wasn't me so it's not my responsibilities and so i'm just gonna let all these people thousands of people die and suffer because you know it wasn't me it wasn't my fault even though good evidence say it was yeah and even if it wasn't their fault they should be like making a fund like to remedy the situation mm-hmm. at least even going off of that um i think one of the articles said that uh it, it was an estimate of probably around one billion dollars needed to remedy the situation but um the secretary general only pledged a 400 million dollar for a voluntary trust fund which means that they're not requiring people to donate money so even in the end they weren't able to get that much money that was needed to fix the situation and there's so much things to be done there needs to be medical attention given to cholera patients as well as public health prevention methods and you can't fund all of that with just 400 million dollars yeah that's a good point you guys are brought up a lot of really good points so if i could just play devil's advocate for a, little, for a second here oh, of course Tony's <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go for it yeah so um if if, if the u.n would uh, accept full responsibility for this they are likely concerned that it would open them up to more lawsuits how would yeah. you guys counter that counter it with like i mean like if they open up to it they will be more susceptible to more lawsuits but mm-hmm that's their fault like when you do something wrong or responsible like you take ownership for it that's what's a part of like being an adult like if i were to be treating a patient and i were to make a wrong diagnosis then the pharmacist were to then do a wrong prescription like that's on me and i would need to take responsibility to make it right and i couldn't put it off on the pharmacist and be like oh you did the wrong uh, prescription you should make it right even though i was the one who started it i just think that goes along with making a mistake is taking ownership even though it may be hard and it may be putting you back where you don't want to go that's a part of like making a mistake yeah and just going off of that like if they don't assume responsibility now and this happens in the future like when like this can keep repeating like they could like not assume responsibility for anything so they have to start doing it now before Before it can lives are lost yeah and they can get more lawsuits in the future yeah i mean healthcare is a human right it's not a privilege and as um an organization that prides itself on advocating for human rights like they need to step up and take responsibility for what they've done they can't be hypocrites and uh turn this over in favor of protecting themselves the immunity um clause i think that they they have uh that prevents people from filing lawsuits against them should not be used as a shield for uh covering up the mistakes that Mm -hmm. they've made definitely i think i think that what this will do if it does open them up to more lawsuits it'll it'll tell them to tread more carefully and to definitely be more thorough with their procedures when they're go when they're crossing borders and going in and out of countries and being mindful of what they bring with them and what they take out yeah so those are really uh all really good points i would follow up with that and say how about the unintended consequences of either a them going with their we didn't do it uh, defense and then B them taking responsibility so what are some unintended consequences you guys see going down both those roads 
I'd say an unintended consequence of them not taking responsibility would be, I think the ultimate con- consequence <coughs> would be nothing would get solved. And I think that they would know that to where lives would still be being lost and nothing would ever happen because no, America, like someone's not gonna be like, okay, like let's just g- give a bunch of money to them, even though we had nothing to do with it. Like nothing would ever get solved. But an unintended consequence of them actually taking ownership for it, in my opinion, would be that it would be a lot more money than they would think. Like, I think $1 million is estimated, but it honestly would take a lot more money than that, not only to help the current people that have the disease, but to educate the public about it, and then to go around trying to prevent the disease from it happening again and preventing the spread of it. So I think it would be a lot more of a financial wrench than they would estimate that it would be. Yeah, kind of echoing that, like, long-term, I think it'd be a financial burden because, as you said, it might open them up mm-hmm. to more lawsuits. So then they got to pump more money into, like, lawyers and, mm-hmm. and people to kind of protect them and represent them in court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so long-term, that's a, that's a pretty penny that they're going to be losing in order to protect themselves from future lawsuits because it happened this one time, so everybody else is going to start looking looking for things that they can sue the UN for, um, like small little things or things that happened way in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to devote a lot of resources to protect against that. And yeah, and and what if, so let's say I'm a small nation and we're in a crisis. Do I want to call the UN necessarily? Because if they make a mistake, we know they're not going to do anything about it. I would definitely not call so that's the also, UN. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also yeah, Their reliability is going down to where people, their reliability and accountability, people mm-hmm. are not going to be relying on them for things that they may have before because they're now being known as a non-reliable okay. alliance. Mm-hmm. Okay, but now the converse of that, if they assume responsibility, now they have to think, okay, wait, do we want to go here? Is there a high chance we're going? Is there a high chance of like collateral... Um, accidents happening if we go to a high risk area so now does the un now have to second guess where they send their aid to so that's also mm-hmm. an unintended consequence of just assuming responsibility for everything that happens when you go to a place of crisis i definitely think it's like a balance though yeah it's you a have balance. to you have to you have to take responsibility where it was obviously your fault mm-hmm. but then when it wasn't your fault and when people are just trying to you know, get something get take something from the UN that should also be recognized and I mean it's going to be I'm not I'm not a lawyer and I don't know yeah. how all this, <laughs> yeah. this uh, stuff works but uh, I, I I assume it might be possible but yeah. it, it won't be easy okay well so um, I'll tell you a little bit about what the people there wanted so a lawsuit was brought by the Boston based Institute for Justice and Democracy in Haiti plaintiffs in the case wanted the UN to end cholera by installing national water and sanitation systems, pay reparations to families and victims, and publicly apologize. Do you think this demand is reasonable, doesn't go too far, or went too far? I'd, I'd say that what they're asking for is reasonable, but then I'd also say when they're co- talking about new public water and sanitation, Haiti needed that before the cholera outbreak. So mm-hmm. they'd be getting a win-win. Like they needed new public water and sanitation before any people were infected with cholera. So I think that asking the UN of this, just killing two birds with one stone, like they need it because of the cholera, but they also needed it irregardless. So it's smart playing on their part, but I think a public apology is much needed. Mm-hmm. And in, in regards of financial compensation to families, I think that in hindsight, they want that. But at the end of the day, there's not enough money that can pay for the life of a lost loved one. Like, the money would be great to have, but it's not going to replace the person that they lost. And I think that it sounds great at the moment, but when they receive it, it'll be like, this doesn't really 
satisfy the needs I thought it would meet. Yeah, and I guess the thing that concerns me about this is, like, if they provide all these resources for Haiti, then they also have, like, other global issues that they have to handle. They have to provide resources for other people, and if they're providing all these resources for Haiti, um, other people are losing these benefits, too. I think a better option probably would be to go in and I know it's a lot more time on their part, but probably a lot less money if they go in and set up sort of a long term sort of care where like instead of paying back the like uh, making reparations to the families that that lost people due to cholera, (laughs) they can set up like a center that supports families Mm -hmm. and then then they can start like Mm -hmm. uh, sourcing inside of the country for people to run that center and like long term options like that Uh, because I think what what they're looking at what they want is sort of short term like Mm -hmm. short term and short sighted I agree with what Martin said um rather than just kind of slapping a band-aid on it I really think they should go in and try to fix some of the issues and incorporate a lot of uh education about um cholera and especially because Haiti as a developing country the people of Haiti they're very dependent on their rivers as a water source so Mm -hmm. Go, sanitation uh, facilities would definitely help that and that would be a lot better than just uh, compensating the victims with money mm-hmm. so the the UN's uh, solution was that they create a voluntary 400 million dollar uh, fund for Haiti uh, but of course all is voluntary so all the nations in the UN could could voluntarily add money to the fund the fund ended up only raising 2.66 million of the 400 million that they wanted, and most of that is already is already gone, right? Um, and so now the UN is asking the the, the nations uh, to turn over a 400, not sorry, 40.5 million dollars, and that's just the money that will be left over from the mission in Haiti, and they're asking if that can be given to Haiti directly instead of the nations taking it back. So it's kind of like the excess money. What do you guys think about that solution? Is that is that good? That doesn't go far enough, or? I mean, I think it's wrong. <laughs> I I think I I do not think that's enough. I do not think that's right at all. I think they're basically, I think by them raising two point six six million, they're basically saying like, here's money, but we're not going to take full responsibility of this. Like, here's a little bit of money, like, you fix it, but by them not even raising a quarter of what that they need, it's basically them saying, like, this really isn't our problem, but because we're nice people, we'll just give you a little bit of money to help fix this problem. And I think it's, I think it's so incredibly disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I think that if this was happening, I think that if it was happening to the United States, it would have been taken a lot more seriously, a mm-hmm. lot differently, because people would have been mm-hmm. outraged, and they just, the people in Haiti, they need to be fighting, they are fighting hard, but we are just not taking them seriously, and that's what's disappointing. Especially since um, it was estimated that they needed $1 billion to mm-hmm. make a voluntary trust fund where people are not even required to donate money of even less than uh, what was needed. That's just kind of just shows how, how much uh, disregard they have towards the situation, how they really don't care as much. And it's, especially since uh, not even like half of that uh, voluntary trust fund money was even uh, found, then like, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think a challenge to raising money was that the, the, the nations in the UN are already kind of like fatigued from mm-hmm. donating. And then they're also kind of apprehensive about, okay, if we give them this money, is it going to be spent effectively? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the, 
apprehension comes in but still that's kind of like that's kind of like yeah i got in your car and crashed it into your house i'm sorry here's a hundred dollars bye and then i'm, I'm done with it it's kind of just, just like because you had a, a long mm-hmm. hard week it's yeah. like i really just really cannot spend the money or time fixing your car even though i messed it up i mean we can use that excuse that nations are tired financially all year round that is not a valid excuse and if they're worried about how haiti's going to financially handle the money the u.n can put together advisors to help haiti figure mm-hmm. that out and that's what I, we have the resources in order to do that no yeah and christine and martin were talking about how they're just slapping a band-aid on it they're, that's exactly what they're doing and this has to be more of a long-term process when helping haiti out yeah, personally, it doesn't even feel like a bandy to me. It feels like they just like yeah. didn't even care. Yeah, I, I don't. Even, I don't <laughs> even think they're half trying. Half a bandaid. Yeah. Yeah, like half, a, like two point six. Two point six. A piece of scotch tape, really. Yeah. Two point six is a drop. A scotch and a pool. Yeah, it is nothing. Yeah, that's that's nothing. You know, say like put your money where your mouth is, and they're 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 talking like they care, but their money is not mm-hmm. saying that they care. Yeah. Like, I mean, I understand the strain that this puts on the UN, and especially mm-hmm. since the UN is comprised of like a lot many different nations, and they all are expected to contribute. But this was their fault in the beginning. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, if they they were the ones that caused the cholera outbreak, they should at least do something to fix it, and they yeah. are not. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a crazy dynamic right because i'm mm-hmm. sure some nations will be like well th- this was all nepal's fault why don't they just flip the whole bill how can we have to pay for them not them not screening their volunteers for cholera or whatever mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it's just a really uh dynamic and blood inducing uh, <laughs> <laughs> blood inducing situation so do you all think that your interprofessional collaboration groups has helped you kind of analyze this article in a different light um, yes, because, um, <laughs> I mean, it's a sanitation issue. Like, cholera is caused m- mostly by, like, uh, diseases found in um, inadequate sanitation. So, with that in mind, um, especially my public health training kind of came into play, and I was able to really think about that more, and, like, the importance of health education and uh, just kind of the how much the infrastructure of a place plays into the health of the community in it i i definitely think i agree with that like so we've had a lot of like interprofessional training where we've had panels come and talk to us about different things like uh social determinants of health and health disparities and all of that information kind of gave us a deeper understanding of the situation where we can look at the public health side of it where like how did it spread why is it spreading where did it come from and we can also look at the the what they have in Haiti and their their social situation and their economic situation and understand that but also we can look at the medical side of it and be like we have they have to get treatment they have to something some type of treatment has to come in but that costs money and so it kind of gives us it kind of allowed us to get a better view of a global situation we did get a better view like of the global situation whatever but i feel like the interprofessional education like session should have been more interactive like maybe we could have gotten simulations and had like several professions in a, like a team like working towards solving a solution or whatever versus just doing like homework assignments and just getting information. Yeah, awesome. That's great feedback. I feel like you feel passionately bit passionately about that. Speaking of passionate. <laughs> <laughs> Taname, 
What are you What are you gonna rant about now? Oh yeah, I've been I okay so blood boiling. Yeah, my <laughs> my my blood's boiling, but it's it's my personal belief that it's it's good to rant. It helps uh, get the crazy out. Good you know, for the soul. It's good for the soul. <laughs> it's great for the soul. It builds up. And so one thing that I don't like is the names for like charities and fun not charities but like like fundraisers i guess so like say so names for fundraisers like <coughs> walk to end alzheimer's ride to beat cancer mm. names like that because i feel like names like that give the false impression that all i have to do is ride or bike this one time and then i've done my part to solve the cancer yeah. problem i would prefer names um such as walk for alzheimer's ride for cancers because i believe names like that um, sends the message that the challenges are ongoing and that ongoing attention and effort is required to address them. With that said, what what gets you guys' blood going? <laughs> well, I'm going to comment on what you said okay. about that because I do agree with that. I feel like the reason we, we word it like that, like ride to beat cancer, is because overall Americans are like, pretty lazy people and because they're like okay like i'm gonna do my daily contribution like oh i'm gonna eat an apple every other day and i'll be fine it's like oh i'm gonna bike once a, once a year for cancer and like boom cancer in your face like that's the <laughs> kind of the concept it's like i did my part for the day like i'm good for the year and i feel like that's why they do it, is it's like oh you bike like and i mean it's great to raise the money it's great to do it but it just shows like i'm involved in dance marathon here on campus and like what we always say and we pride ourselves in is dance marathon isn't a 24-hour event it's a 365 day a year battle mm -hmm. that we have like every single day we're raising money for kids with cancer because every single day they don't stop fighting so it's not a 20 just because we dance for 24 hours that doesn't mean that we're only passionate for 24 hours and I feel like that's important yeah. and not everyone has to be passionate about the same cause but it's finding what you are passionate about and wanting to do it every single day or just as much as you can because I always say if, if you don't stand for anything you'll fall for anything nice yeah so going off of that do you guys think that the number of people would, that come to the event would change depending on how the name is like structured like do you think if it was a step one name more people would show up or if it was more like how you were talking about like yeah this, like, yeah more um i i think it would <laughs> i think it would like lower like the turnout for like if they did it more than once a year it would lower it per um event but i think over time you would get not as high a number, but more consistent numbers throughout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't like fall off one year. I think I think it might affect it if you like explain the reason why you went from the switch mm -hmm. because I think uh, most people just won't even notice it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I it's, agree be, it's a nuanced sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's it, it's just it's just changing one word, and hopefully that one word will kind of change how they think about it uh, subconsciously. And so then that will, over time, increase turnout. Mm -hmm. So, so Nicole, I, I see you over there just, 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 just uh, steaming. You're steaming over there. So uh, what's, 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 what's got your out. goat? I will talk about my personal rant for the day. So I was reading the new news, which comes out every day at noon, <laughs> a few days ago. And I came across an article that said that Iowans are some of the rudest drivers in the city. <laughs> and it's a running joke throughout this program that I'm a bad driver. <laughs> Not true, disclaimer. But I come from Chicago and Illinois has less rude drivers than Iowa. 
So I think that's a stereotype that Chicago has rude drivers. So how do you guys feel about that? Uh, Chicago <laughs> definitely has rude drivers. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely do. Chicago, people can just be kind of rude mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. I mean, it's a big city, so... No, I often drive downtown and people are just whipping into your lane. Like, they don't even mm-hmm. put their lights on, just vroom, <laughs> right into your lane. Also, granted, <laughs> they are in a rush. They have places yeah. to be, places mm-hmm. to go, and they have to deal with the constant, like lights every single block we're here in iowa we cruise for two hours without hitting a stoplight that's a lot different i mean (laughs) i'm from houston texas so i i get what you're saying about big cities but like chicago is just another level like they'll whip in front of you without even looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) i agreed i mean i guess something i have like two things that are making my blood boil we can talk about either i guess one that's really made my blood boil lately is people who claim to be environmentalists are like really passionate for the environment but yet they eat meat chicken eggs dairy that is a very big pet peeve of mine Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm totally like environment, but I like meat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I can elaborate on that. That's a really big problem that I've been having because people claim to say, like, even in our presentation earlier, how she was like t- turning off the lights, uh, taking shorter showers, having fuel efficient like appliances. That would save on average 69 gallons of water a day, whereas eating a single hamburger is 60,000 gallons of water. A day, like if you eat one hamburger, that's sixty thousand gallons of water that went into that. It is an enormous amount of money that we put into our livestock to run our whole country. If we were to put the same, like if we were to take away all of our livestock and just put that into soybeans and plants, no one in our, no one in the world would be hungry. No one, absolutely no one. It is because of like the money that we are putting into livestock to where all of our forests are going down to support livestock, to put in food, to feed our livestock. And it's because we're eating these animals and we're supporting this movement of eating more meat. And it's because big organizations are also profiting off of this. So this is really a big reason why we have huge lobbyists in this movement because like Susan G. Coleman or the American Red Heart Association, American Red Heart Association is funded by huge meat producing corporations when it's proven that red meat leads to heart disease it's leads to heart attacks but why and but on the american heart association website when they have alternative eating like very healthy eating they have meat-based recipes like why is that it's because they are funded by a large meat corporation and because this corporation is making more money and so is the american heart association by having more people having heart disease we're in a society where they don't want us to get better they want us to get sicker because that's more money for them and like that's what my big problem is like if you like if you love the environment and you support it and you want to get better you'd understand that livestock and eating animals is terrible for our environment it's a lot of money it is terrible for our air it is terrible for pollution especially fish not even like it's a whole nother rant about how it's terrible for our body but just for our environment it is terrible like if we want to save our environment if everybody stopped eating animals our environment would do a complete 360. I mean, I mean, I really hate to play devil's advocate, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but I would say that, you know, humans where we eat meat 
we eat meat and vegetables. We're omnivores. Um, and also... But we have zero characteristics of being a carnivore. We have zero, like... We're, yeah, we're not carnivores, but we're not we're not herbivores. We're not herbivores either, so... Our anatomy is more... is 95% like our herbivore. Our teeth and our gut system is just like herbivores are, and they're nothing like omnivores. Yeah, you, but we still... But So my sister's a vegan, and she has to take a lot of supplements mm-hmm. and things like that. And I know a lot of vegans who have to take supplements because they're not eating meat and they're not getting the protein and the things that you get from eating meat the reason and yeah. i would say that with the meat who leading to heart attack like most <laughs> things everything in in moderation you don't go out and you eat steaks every night and and you know chicken every morning or whatever you eat most things in, in moderation I definitely think that i would agree with you cows and pigs are horrible for the environment mm-hmm. that is that is no problem about that but like if you <laughs> uh, but no yeah i agree with you me, i i can definitely i definitely think we should like cut back educate yourself <laughs> no yeah meat has like a lot of nutritional value just be- we get like all our proteins and all our stuff from where it where do so- cows get their protein from that's all i have to say when people say i'm going vegan and they say where do you get protein where do cows get their protein where do chickens get their protein they get it from all whole foods like that's where they get it from and like we say that <laughs> everything's good in moderation but if i smoke a cigarette once in a while that's moderation but that doesn't mean it's good it's because it's proven that it leads to lung cancer just like eating red meat does. I don't and the think reason, you can compare the, yes, cigarettes yes, to meat. Yes, you can. different yes, things. No, you and can. also cows, cows, they eat the grass and then they process that and then we eat that. That's kind of how the, the food chain works, the, the energy pyramid. Wait, the, the, wait, 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 wait. So, so Martin, so, so you're saying in a way we're all vegans, right? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that because that, that would be incorrect to say because we eat meat. And the reason why a lot of vegans have to take supplements is because they were raised on meat based and meat and fish and chicken based diets, and now they're taking that away. So once where they got these nutrients from meat, they're now taking away, so they're not getting it from that anymore when their body was dependent on it. So now they have to supplement it versus like people that are raised vegan or raised vegetarian, they don't ever take supplements because that's how they were raised. But once you take it away, that's a completely different thing. And it's very easy for you to say that like you can't compare cigarettes to um, to meat causing cancer, but it's proven that drinking a glass of milk a day can increase a woman's chances of getting breast cancer by 72%. That is factual in a book. Harvard is doing studies based off of this with like uh, prostate cancer for men about how eating dairy is increasing men's chances of getting prostate cancer by 65%. Like it is being done right now. And the reason why people don't want to bring it to life is because the food industry is a money making in the United States. People make so much money and revenue off of people being sick. It is a very, very, very terrible industry. Just like tobacco, for a long time, people thought it was okay to smoke while being pregnant until people were finally like, okay, this isn't okay. I guarantee you in 20 years, you'll look back on this podcast and you'll be like, (laughs) we found out that meat's caused cancer. Do any research you want and I guarantee you, you will find articles saying that meat is leading to cancer. But I mean, also chocolate, you eat a lot of chocolate and you gain a lot of weight and you have a heart attack, but you don't cut away chocolate. I'm saying everything in moderation. You eat meat. If you eat meat every once in a while, you're not going to die of a heart attack. I'm not, I, no, and, I, and I'm not saying that, but you're increasing your chances astronomically. Not only are you affecting your health, but it's terrible for the environment more so. Okay, so <laughs> clearly boiling in here. So I think we're going to take it down a notch and play another game. We're doing our little duel between Harry Potter and Voldemort. So wh- where's Harry? Who's playing Harry? I'll be Harry. And who's the Dark Lord? 
I'll be the Dark Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harry and the Dark Lord <laughs> are going to have a little duel, but instead of using regular spell names, they're going to use song names. So, for example, Man in the Mirror, or something, you know, s- something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I might call on my trusty sidekick, Hermione, which is Martin, oh, if I need yeah. any help. And I might call Ron over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. The curtain opens. Harry and Voldemort look at each other deeply. Harry! <laughs> Voldemort. They raise their wands. Swish. Voldemort looks at Harry with disdain and unleashes a spell. Uh, Harry, you're a firework by Katy Perry! (laughs) And Harry brushes that off and counters. I will always love you, Whitney Houston! (laughs) Oh, Voldemort nearly dodges that one. Uh, I feel it coming by the weekend! His heart will go on and Harry counters it once again. Billy Jean, Michael Jackson! It strikes Voldemort in the chest. He unleashes his final spell. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> My watch still waving. Uh, <laughs> pour it up, Abby, I'd say. That's rap. You can't beat Beyonce. You can't oh, yeah. dodge that. Yeah, you, can. you can't beat Beyonce. Can't beat she pulled Queen up Beyonce. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the game winner right there. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> so, what's your what's your biggest takeaway from the program? Do you guys think the, the one thing if you had to tell an aspiring undergrad, one thing you learned? Be open to options. Mm-hmm. You will like you. Th- uh, it just bothers me sometimes where I meet uh, pre med freshmen and they're always just like, "I'm gonna be a doctor in 20 years. I'll have my own practice. I'll be a doctor. I'll be a surgeon. I'll be a cardiac surgeon or, or orthopedic <laughs> surgeon." I'm just like, "Honey, no. Like, <laughs> sit, <laughs> sit down. Oh, like, <laughs> like it. I just want people to be open and open their minds to the amount of healthcare professions that you know go into taking care of patients. Like, you have." public health and you have pharmacy and you have nursing and PT and a lot of times people are so fo- become so focused on one thing that they don't uh, cho- choose to acknowledge the others and I think it's just really important that uh, we are open to sharing and listening to others and um, just mm-hmm. learning from others rather than just going our own path yeah my biggest takeaway is um, just looking at your path don't look at your path like a line of boxes look at it as something like live in the moment and always like be happy about what you're doing right now like a lot of people look at the end destination and they forget about what they're doing in the moment and i feel like people should just like embrace like their education like oh i gotta get through this chemistry class i hate it so much but you should just just be happy about it you're like in this position and you'll do great if you just embrace your the opportunities that are given to you and um also like um if you're like a minority or whatever always embrace like being different and just embrace your culture don't like don't be like cautious about sharing it just talk to people be confident yeah and i would say uh don't let don't let the world or people bring you down there's gonna be a lot of people 
around you and in your life who's always going to tell you that you can't do it. What, but what you need to do is you need to go and find mentors and people who will tell you that you can do it and who do believe in you. And you need to believe in yourself and realize that you're you're not alone. There is there is somebody out there for you to help you through whatever you need to whatever you're going through. Oh, and I would definitely say my takeaway from the program was kind of like Christine saying that I always knew that I wanted to help people. And until coming to this program, I didn't realize that there are a lot of other ways to help people Mm -hmm. other than being a physician. Like there's a way to impact and cause like light and hope in the lives of others other than just being a physician. And I would say being open to that, but not only there's always someone that will believe in you and help you to get to where you want to be and being able to find those people will make that journey a lot easier. Nicole, as an, as an administrator, what's your biggest takeaway? <coughs> well, I definitely think that this has been a huge success the first year and we're really excited to hopefully have this program in the future. Um, my biggest takeaway is that I'm just really happy that everyone has successfully completed the first five weeks. There's still yet one to come. Um, I'm glad that you're all such a great community and family now, and it seems like you've learned a lot. You can back me on that, but or not, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think that it's been pretty successful program for our first go around. So, I mean, I guess the last thing I kind of want to say to like future Schpeppers or um, <laughs> even just pre-health students is uh, just be open. Like there's strength in admitting your vulnerability like don't don't yeah. be afraid to hide your mistakes i'd rather you should learn from them and you should speak about them um like especially as pre-health uh students I, like i really wish that people would just um just kind of fill fill their hearts with love and strength and kind of just use that fire and in, uh, in their belly to go forth and um be a voice to because we are so privileged to have an opportunity to pursue a higher education. And with that, we have this platform that is really unique and not given to a lot of other people. And so we really should just use that and use our mistakes and our experiences and our lessons that we've learned throughout this journey to go forth and make lives better for other people. Yeah, I I totally agree. At the end of the day, it's really about helping each other, right? Mm -hmm. We're humans by design are very social creatures. If you leave a person alone, they go crazy, right? Mm -hmm. We all need human contact. We all need a little bit of love. On that note, thank you, Nicole, Yasmin, Gil, Christine, and Martin for being on the show today. It has been a pleasure working with you all and everyone else in SHPEP. To our listeners and the rest of our SHPEP family, we wish you all the very best. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, leave us your review on iTunes. Reviews like yours help our show to grow. If you don't like what you heard, let us know. Or if you've had something you'd like us to know, show us those things at theshortcoats at gmail.com. Or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. This show is made possible by generous donations from the Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Communicate Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis, and our opening music is by Dr. Box. In closing, is by Argo Fox. Talk to you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. <laughs> and In one, one week. week.